All right, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of John, the book of John. And while we are turning there, I want to remind you again of our schedule change this week. Normally we have a Wednesday evening uh, Bible study. We're changing that to Tuesday this week because we're going to have uh, one of our missionaries with us. He's going to give a report. So you're not going to want to miss that. That's Tuesday at 7 o'clock. So there will not be a Wednesday uh, service. And if you forget and you show up, you may think the rapture happened and you weren't taken. Uh, but it's just that we changed the schedule. Although that could that could be the case. I don't know. <laughs> we The Lord may come this week. We're going to look to this morning at John chapter 21, the book of John, John chapter 21, the book of John chapter 21. We've been doing this series on the miracles of Jesus during his earthly ministry, and now we are coming to the end of that series. And John chapter 21, John chapter 21 and verse number one. The Bible says after these things, and that there is a loaded statement, because if you know everything that has happened, Jesus is, has died, he's been buried, he rose again, he's appeared to uh, his apostles at least on two different occasions that we know of, and uh, a lot has gone on. And so after these things, after a lot of things, the Bible tells us that Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. Verse number 2 says, There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find So they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. I want to talk this morning about three great hindrances that will keep us from Christ. Three great hindrances 
that'll keep us from walking with Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful to be here this morning, so thankful that we have your word, so thankful, Lord God, for the patience that you showed the disciples and the patience you show show us each and every day. Lord God, we are so undeserving of it. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And Father, I pray now that you would just bless now this time, the preaching of your word. Lord God, use it this morning. I pray if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as personal Savior, Lord, that your spirit would be given opportunity to work here in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives this morning. And we do thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. You know, as we come to the end of our series here on the miracles of Christ during his earthly ministry, this one takes place after Jesus' greatest feat, I believe, which we celebrated last Sunday. His death, his burial, and then, of course, his resurrection. Uh, from uh, uh, His resurrection from the dead. Now, you would think that after all the apostles had seen all the miracles that we have covered, it's, a, it's hard to believe that we've covered all those miracles, but we covered all the miracles during his earthly ministry, and, and then, of course, his resurrection that the apostles got to witness. You would think after seeing all of this, that they'd be ready to turn their back on everything in life and wholeheartedly follow Jesus. This is, in fact, what Jesus wants from all those who call upon him to be their Savior. This, after all, is simple gratitude. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that's Christians, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Those are the three things God wants us to do. He wants us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, Lord God, whatever you have me to do, I'm willing to do it, even if it means dying for the faith. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Number two, holy. He wants us to live holy lives. And then number three, He wants us to live lives that are acceptable unto God. That requires dedication. That requires what the world would call today fanaticism. Presenting your body a living sacrifice. Living a life that is holy. And living a life that is completely acceptable to God. That goes way out of the fringe of what the the world would consider normalcy. And yet, God says, you ought to be willing to do that. And then uh, that verse concludes with this, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. When you consider that God gave his life so that we could be saved, he gave his life so that we could have life eternal, it's just reasonable that we'd be willing to give our lives to him, being that we could never pay back what he's done for us. It's called gratitude. This is simply not the case for these men, however. They're not willing yet to turn their back on everything. Why, we find that they've gone back home. 
the region of Galilee, some 75 miles north of Jerusalem. It now seems as though these disciples, especially Peter, who's the leader of them, feels that the ride is over and now it's time to get back to earthly living. It's time to get back to what we know. As a matter of fact, Peter appears to say, well, guys, that was interesting. Now it's time for me to get back to my old life. What about you fellows? Look at what he says here. The Bible tells us in verse number three, Simon Peter saith to them, I go a fishing. And so he has with him here, he's got Thomas, he's got Nathaniel, he's got uh, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. He's got two others, probably his brother and another. That's half the disciples right there. And Peter's looking at them and he says, no, I don't know about you fellas, but I'm going to go home. And I'm going to go back. Remember, he was a fisherman by trade. As a matter of fact, all those that went with him also were fishermen by trade. The Bible tells us that uh, Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, they were partners in this trade. And so Peter's not just saying, hey, I'm going to go fishing. Peter is saying, I'm going back. I'm going back to what I did. Going back to what we did before, the term go fishing comes from a Greek word that means to retire, to withdraw, to go away as if sinking out of sight. And I believe that was Peter's intention. I'm going to go. I'm going to retire. This was a great ride. It was wonderful. We got to see a lot of miracles. We got to see Jesus die. We saw him be raised from the dead. It was a great ride, but... I don't know what's going to happen next, but I don't know about you guys. As for me, I'm going home. And the Bible says that the rest of them said, hey, that's a great idea, Peter. We're going to go home too. Matthew chapter 26, we see that Jesus predicted that this is exactly what was going to happen. In Matthew chapter 26, and in verse number 31, when Jesus was getting ready to be arrested and was preparing them for what was about to happen, Jesus made this prediction. He said, in Matthew 26, verse 31, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. We know that happened immediately. They forsook him and they fled. But, well, a lot of times what we don't get out of this is not only that did they forsake him and fled, they quit. And look at the next part of those verses, Matthew 26, 31 through 32. Jesus says, but after I am risen again, I'll go before you in Galilee. In other words, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to go get you. You're going to forsake me. You're going to flee. You're going to quit. You're going to go home. But thank the Lord for a God who doesn't give up on us, but he pursues us. And so he did exactly that. So Jesus predicted this is exactly what is going to happen, and it's exactly what they did. They, they did exactly what they say they wouldn't do, and yet when Jesus comes back onto the scene, great things begin to happen, and Jesus follows them, 
And when they let Jesus in just a little bit, he performs a great miracle, one that they'd already seen, by the way, at the beginning of the ministry. All these fish. And, and then it dawns on them, we've seen this before. And John, the one who Jesus, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter puts on his fisherman's coat. By the way, he wasn't completely naked. He just was inappropriately dressed for company. They were out there, and it it was hot, and he had taken off his fisherman's coat. He put it back on. He jumped in the water, and he, he headed to shore. I don't know what possessed him to do that. Why not stay in the boat? But anyways, he Peter was always kind of a kind of a showman I guess and so he jumps out and he goes and then and then they bring the ship the 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 boat back and the nets and and then Peter goes and helps them bring it to shore but Jesus predicted this was going to happen and Jesus says but don't worry I'm coming after you and then when Jesus comes back great things happen thank the Lord for his mercy and for second chances Real quickly, just three things, three things that we need to understand. We will all be tempted to quit, and all of us are going to fall. If you've been saved long enough, you've already fallen. Matter of fact, Scripture reminds us that the spiritual man falls time and time again, but he gets back up. If you, uh, if you haven't fallen yet, perhaps you have and you're not willing to admit it, But we will all be tempted to quit, and all of us are going to fall. Number two, life without Jesus does not work out well for the Christian. The Bible tells us that they went back, these seasoned fishermen, six of them, they'd been doing it their entire life. They went back to their old life, and you know, it really didn't work out too well for them, did it? The Bible says that they were out all night, and caught not a thing. But then Jesus comes back, and then what happens? My miracle of miracles, this is familiar. This happened once before. And John says, I know what's going on. That's not just anyone on the shore. That's the Lord. Number three, Jesus is always ready and willing to bring us back into his will. No matter how far out of God's will you have gotten, Jesus is always ready and willing to bring us back into his will. These were men who had completely forsaken God. Peter had denied him three times the night of his death. They'd seen Jesus after his resurrection on two different occasions, both on Sunday nights, as a matter of fact. I often wonder if this didn't happen on a Sunday. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I've often wondered if this didn't happen on Sunday. We know what happened the first Sunday. Jesus came that night, the night that he rose from the dead. He came into their midst, and guess who wasn't there? Thomas. He's on the boat fishing, but he wasn't there that first night. He completely missed out. The second Sunday night, he was there. I just wonder if this wasn't a Sunday. You know, it never does us well to be out of God's will and to be someplace we ought not be. 
it, it, it never turns out that well. But thank the Lord, he's always ready and willing to bring us back into his will. So as the disciples come to shore and commune with the Lord, Jesus has a few other lessons he wants to teach the leader of this mild rebellion. So he begins in, uh, getting back to John chapter 21, he begins in verse number 15. So all this has taken place, all this has happened. Now Jesus says, come and dine. And so they come. And now they're enjoying once again the blessings and the presence of the Lord. But now Jesus has a lesson that he wants to teach us. And in verse number 15, he says this, Simon, Peter, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And then he repeats it again. And then he repeats it again. And Peter, every time, says, uh, of course, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then he asks again. And, and Peter saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And then one more time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. So here's what Jesus is telling Peter. Peter, I don't want to hear you love me. I want to see that you love me. Christians today love to talk about the love of Jesus. But once you ask them to put their money where their mouth is, so to say, oh man, that's asking too much. That's fanatical. I've wondered within myself, what in the world did the Lord mean by this question? What are the these? He said, lovest thou me more than these? Jesus is asking Peter about, and in the context of everything Christ tries to teach us in the Gospels, it becomes very easy, however, to realize that what Jesus is asking Peter. It's the same question that Jesus asks every one of his children when they come to know him as personal Savior. Is there anything here in this life that you are going to pay attention to and love more than you love me? Peter had denied the Lord three times after Jesus was arrested. Now he's turned his back on Jesus to go back to his old ways, to go back to his old life. And everything that is important to Peter is represented in our text. Jesus is reminding Peter that when it comes to serving the Lord, it's all or nothing. One thing that the Lord cannot stand is lukewarm Christians. That is Christians who will not deny him with their mouth, but in fact will say, Lord, we love thee. But when it comes to being completely 100% dedicated, that is presenting your life a living sacrifice or your body a living sacrifice, living a life that is holy and, and, and doing that which is completely acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, Christians will then balk at that and say, well, you know, God knows my heart. Isn't that what Peter said here in verse number 17? 
When Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. Verse number 17, because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. That's the great excuse of Christians who don't serve God. You can't judge me, preacher. God knows my heart. I know I'm not at all the services, but God knows my heart. I know that, I, I know that you don't actually see me uh, doing the things for God, but you need to understand you can't read my heart. Only God can read my heart. Do you know that that's what Peter is saying to Jesus? You know my heart. And Jesus says, but people need to see your works, Peter. Don't say it. Show it. You know, no relationship is going to work if all you get from your spouse is words and never works. As the Bible says, faith without works is dead. Can I say love without works is dead also? Herein is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Well, how do we know he loved us? Because he gave himself for us. That's how we know. Jesus said about the people in his day, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The apostles all said, Amen to that, Jesus. But now the finger's being pointed at them, one of them in particular. And, Jesus, and Peter is saying, I'll honor you with my lips. And Jesus says, I don't want your lips. I want your heart. And if I have your heart, I'll have your body. And if I'll have your body, then no one's going to have to ask whether you love Jesus or not. Peter would emphatically say yes. But again, Jesus replied to Peter, don't say it, show it. Because you're not showing it right now. You're out fishing. So I want to give you three things this morning. Three things, because Jesus asked Peter three times. Three things that must take a back seat in your life if you're going to be fully committed to Jesus. Three things that are going to have to take a back seat in your life if you're going to be fully committed to Jesus. Number one, people. People. People are going to have to take a back seat in your life if you're going to be fully committed to Jesus. And of course, we could all say, oh, that's easy. I don't like people anyway. Okay, well, let, let me give you two groups. Number one, family. Family's going to have to take a back seat in your life if you're going to be wholly and fully committed to Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you want to come to know Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to have to disregard what family's going to say. You're going to have to disregard what people are going to say. And then if you're going to take the next step and walk by faith in Jesus, take those next steps of faith, you're going to have to disregard what uh, the opinion of your family. The Bible tells us that the disciples went back, these six went back to the Sea of Tiberias, which is actually the Sea of Galilee. John 6, 1 says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So where did they go back home? 
All these men were from and had grown up in Galilee. Their families were still there. And so they went back to their families. They went back to their family businesses. And now Jesus asked, Peter, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Peter's brother, Andrew, was one of the apostles and likely one of these who had defected and gone back home with him. Doesn't name him, but I believe he must have been one of them. When Jesus taught these disciples during his ministry, he taught them that following him might put them at odds with their families. They may think you weird, as Jesus' own family did him, but nonetheless, you need to follow Jesus. And then if your family follows with you, that's great. But if not, Jesus needs to come first to be number one. In John chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, we read what happened to Jesus' family. They thought Jesus was a nut. And in John 7, 3, verse number 5, His brethren, therefore, said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. In other words, they thought he was, he was crazy. And they said this, if you're going to continue teaching this, if you're going to continue living this, if you're going to continue being this, go, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. For neither did his brethren believe in him. And so you know what Jesus did? He went. And he kept teaching. And he kept preaching. And he did it without the backing of his family. As a matter of fact, he did it while his family was back in Nazareth, bad-mouthing him to the rest of the town. That town, by the way, which wanted to kill him. Jesus couldn't even go back to his hometown. And his family wasn't there backing him up. They weren't there supporting him. Now, had Jesus compromised, he probably could have gotten in good with his family. Had he done what I've heard many Christians say to me, well, you know, preacher, family is very important. I don't deny family's important. God instituted the family. Family is important. But remember, it was God that instituted the family, which means God's number one. God is what keeps the family together. Not compromising and turning our back on God, that will not keep the family together. I've watched more families fall apart because, well, we're going to have to turn our back on God so that we can embrace the family. And all it does is it makes the family dissolve because you've destroyed the glue that keeps the family together. God instituted the family. So yes, is family important? Absolutely, family is important. But when family makes an ultimatum, hey, you either be at this party on Sunday or you just don't show up because that's when we're having it. Well, guess what? I know what you're saying about us. I know what you think of me. I know I'm a nut. I know I'm a kook. But I've got to go and worship my Savior. He's first and foremost. Interestingly enough, Jesus would remind his family that his was a family 
with a truly higher calling. In Mark chapter 3, verse number 31, Mark chapter 3, verse number 31, Mark chapter 3, verse number 31, presumably, after they told Jesus, either choose your ministry or choose us, and Jesus chose his ministry, now the Bible tells us his family came looking for him. I don't know what they needed from him. But look at what Jesus has to say to them. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And in verse number 31. Mark chapter 3. Verse number 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling. Now, Jesus is, Jesus is preaching. He's teaching at this time. And they can't get in to see him because there's so many around. So they sent a message in. Hey, tell Jesus his family's out here. And look at Jesus' reply. Verse number 32 says, In the multitude sat about him, they said unto him, Behold, thy, thy mother and thy brother. In other words, your family's looking for you. Verse number 33, he answered them, saying, Who's my family? That's a good question. Who's my family? You know who you're going to learn your family is when you are wholeheartedly serving God? Your church. You're going to find that's who your family is. That's who will stand with you. That's who will be with you. That's who's going to tell you when you're wrong and you may get upset. They're going to hold you accountable, but they're also going to love you. And so what Jesus says in verse number 34, he looked around about on them which sat about him. In other words, those who were listening to his preaching. And he said, behold, my family. I unashamedly say, this is my family. Because we're all of the family of God. You know, Christ is your personal Savior. You're a son of God. God's our Heavenly Father. We are family. Sometimes, and I, I don't expect my earthly family to understand that, except for those who are saved. But I also know that they will do whatever they can at times to cause me to compromise, and we just can't do that. Because my Jesus didn't compromise. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. Our family may oppose us. And Jesus said, that very well me may be the case. Jesus said, I came not to send peace, but a sword. I am come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's foes shall be they of his own household. Now he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, I know you got your brother here. I know your family's here. But I need to know now, do you love me more than you love these? Because people will hinder you from serving God. I've learned as a pastor that nobody can influence Christians to do the wrong thing 
more than family. This morning, the, the message of compromise in Sunday school. You might wonder, why in the world would Jehoshaphat be so stupid? Ahab was wicked. He was ungodly. He married an ungodly woman. And he, he, he turned to idolatry. Why would Jehoshaphat form an affinity with Ahab? Do you want to know why? Because they were family. That's why they were family. And Jehoshaphat justified it by saying, What do you expect me to cast my family aside? Do you expect me to turn my back on my family? Well, Jesus would say this, Jehoshaphat, lovest thou me more than these? And it would cost Jehoshaphat, you know, if you, read the, if you continue to read the story, Jehoshaphat almost died. Do you want to know why? Because God's wrath was coming down on Ahab, and Jehoshaphat was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Here's the thing is, if you have a backslidden family member, you're not doing yourself or that family member any good by enabling that backslidden family member. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. Listen, when lightning strikes, you don't want to be anywhere near that. You don't want to be anywhere around it. I've seen children influence their parents by making church and things of God very difficult. I've even heard parents say, well, you know, we just let our children to decide. To those the Lord asks, lovest thou me more than these? I've seen parents influence their children by not setting a good godly example. And children will compromise as a result. I've learned even with my own family that provision is not going to be made for me and my God, but I need to make provision for them because, as they like to tell me, we're family. One of the things that Josh mentioned this morning in Sunday school is that it's always the child of God who has to step down. Have you noticed that? So if you're going to maintain these relationships, you need to understand it'll be you stepping down. It will not be them stepping up. Jesus asked once again, Lovest thou me more than these? I could never understand. Why can't the plans be made on Saturday? Well, because we're family. Well, he's God. I'm sorry if that offends. But he is God. Understand, Christian, generally, you won't pull away from your family as you serve the Lord. You'll find you'll either influence them or they'll pull away from you. Peter knew this as his brother Andrew knew the Lord before he did, and Peter had to make a choice. And he went and followed his brother. And in so doing, following the Lord. But not only when we're dealing with people are we going to deal with family, but sometimes for some people, it's harder to deal with friends than it is to deal with family. Not only was Peter's family present, lifelong friends were with him. You know, and here's, interest, here's the interesting thing. 
Peter was the instigator in all of this, and he led friends astray as well as family. For some friends can be more of an influence than family. To the child of God with unsaved friends, the Lord asks, Lovest thou me more than these? We're to take up our crosses and follow after the Lord, though, as the song says, though no one join me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. People, probably the greatest hindrance to us coming to know Christ and actually serving Christ. Let me quickly give you the next two things. Number two, number two, I believe is possessions. Possessions. So we've got people that'll keep us from the Lord. We've got possessions that'll keep us from the Lord. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 19, the book of Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and this is why Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. Warning his disciples, verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? They were so taken back, they so understood what Jesus was talking about. You see, one of the main, uh, and, and we can see this today, one of the main objectives of the Jewish people is business. Man, and they're very good at it. They're good at business. It's it's like a God to them. And very rarely are you going to get one up on a Jew. Because they're very they're very business savvy. And I want to tell you that Peter and and his brother Uh, Andrew and James and John, they weren't in the fishing industry just to make a living. They were in the fishing industry to get rich because that was a main objective of them. That That was their culture, not the culture that God had brought into them, but everywhere that they went, no matter what country they're in, empire they're in they become very successful they're extremely successful in the united states of america they practically own the entertainment industry i mean they are extremely successful so with their mindset peter and james and john and those other fishermen they said well if that's the case it's impossible to get to heaven Well, thank the Lord it's not impossible, but if you are going to serve God wholeheartedly, you are going to have to put God before possessions. Sometimes you may have to turn down that lucrative job because maybe it's in a location where there is no church and God doesn't want you going there, 
or just maybe it'll take you out of church and God doesn't want that for your life. Or maybe God, there will be no clear reason, but as you pray about it, God just doesn't give you peace about taking that lucrative job. Well, what do I do then? You keep God first. Peter was sure he could make a living at fishing. He knew he could. It was a family industry. And who knows how many generations back it went. But he had done it. He'd been successful at it. He joined a good partnership with his two friends, James and John. And Zebedee was a, was a good businessman. And so I know I can make money at this. Oh, but Peter, you're not in the ministry for money. Though there's nothing wrong with finances. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being rich. God uses wealthy people. He has throughout history. Um, It's hard because a lot of them don't see their need for God. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's, It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Why? Because he's rich? No. But because possessions are his God. A lot of them, that's how they get there. Not all of them. But a lot of them, that's how they get there. So there's nothing wrong with finances. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So there's nothing wrong with finances. There is something wrong with putting them before God. No man, Jesus says, can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, those who would say, I just don't think a church should talk about money, love their money more than God. It's interesting to hear what God says about money. Eleven of the forty parables, that's a fourth of the forty parables that Jesus taught had to do with money. Not necessarily uh on giving but money enters the equation somehow some way because it's one of the things that keeps us from the lord in matthew six twenty one, no man can serve two masters he either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and mammon or possessions it's fairly easy to see what a man loves by what he spends his money on Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How is it we can say we love God, yet we give his church only our spare change? Jesus would say, hey, lovest thou me more than these cars over here? Lovest thou me more than these possessions here? Lovest thou me more than these? Well, yeah, Lord, you know I do. Well, show me. You can say it all you want. Show me. One of the possessions that we love more than any is our time. One thing that I have found particularly here in America, people will write checks, but man, you ask for their time, and they just don't have the time to give their time to Jesus. The same excuse we use for not tithing. I just can't afford it. I just don't have the money. Well, I just don't have the time. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. 
not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Boy, another possession we love along with finances is our food, (laughs) especially in America. There's nothing wrong with food, but Jesus should still take precedence. I say that because it's got to kill our Savior when we claim to love him more than anything, but we'll never miss a meal while missing out on several spiritual meals. Several opportunities throughout our, our ministry here, my wife sometimes will joke about people because we know some people who we can guarantee will show up for church when there's a potluck. Hey, we know so-and-so will be here. Um, there's going to be a potluck. Not so much in our present church, but, but in the past. There's been names that we would joke about Saturday night and say, Hey, you think so-and-so is going to be there tomorrow? It's a potluck. Yeah, probably. Somehow, some way, they can sniff out the food. Proverbs 20, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4, verse number 4, it's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, people, possessions. Let me get you the, the last one really quick, and then we'll be done here. The third thing that will hinder, and and again, we certainly see this in our country today. People, possessions, last of all, play. Play. Americans love to play. And in America, we can afford toys. And so there's a lot of playing to be done. That's why most people, when they see Peter say, I go a fishing, they're not talking about making a, they're not thinking about making a living. They're thinking, oh, Peter's going to go fishing. He's going to go put his pole in the, in the water and he's going to uh, bring it back in and then throw it back out and bring it back in. And then I couldn't, I'm not a fisherman, <laughs> but that's what they do. But it's more play. Most of us, when we go fishing, it's to play. It's a hobby. There's a lot of playing that we do. Uh, And again, there's nothing wrong with playing, nothing wrong with toys. You know my affinity for motorcycles. I love to go up on the mountain. And uh, you oftentimes know when I have because I come back limping or crippled in some other way, probably getting too old to ride those things. But nonetheless, it's play. It's fun. We need to play. Jesus talked about us going on vacation because our brains need to rest. And he understands that. But he also says it should never take precedence over me. Here's the thing. Let God bless you with toys. He'll bless you with the time to enjoy them, but only as we keep him first and foremost. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about the fact that in the latter times, boy, dangerous times are going to come. And then he talks about the mindset of people in the latter times, that they'd be traitors, they'd be heady, they'd be heady and high-minded. Boy, we certainly live in the day and age when people are so full of pride, they're so high-minded today. And they'd be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. 
And we certainly see that in our society today. Willing to spend billions on sports uh, uh, avenues and, and facilities and then spend all that money to go watch these people as they call what they do, um, as they complain about what they do, but nonetheless, they get to do it. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Hey, this list is pretty exhaustive. I mean, it's only three things, but it pretty much covers everything that will ever keep us from being what God wants us to be. Number one, God wants you to be saved. He wants you to come to know Him as personal Savior. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's done everything so that you could be saved. Are you going to keep allow anything to keep you from coming to know Christ as Savior? If you're saved this morning, serving Him, it's our reasonable service. It's just reasonable. It's called gratitude. But how many people are in the way of us showing our God gratitude? How many pleasures are in the way of us showing God our gratitude? And again, how many of our possessions are in the way of, uh, of allowing us to show God our gratitude? People, possessions, play or pleasure. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed, with every head bowed, and with every eye closed.